You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Well, hello and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation series. For those of, of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Fort Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, no better place to live, work or play. Joining me today is my co-host, Jonathan George. Good morning, Jonathan, how are you? Good morning, Dolores. I am fantastic on this beautiful day in Niagara. Uh, And good morning to our our two guests uh, who we'll meet shortly. And good morning to everyone out there. Fantastic, it's a gorgeous fall day out there. And I am uh, ready for a great conversation. This morning, we've got some uh, terrific guests joining us for a conversation about the travel industry. This industry was pretty much shut down for the better part of a year. So many challenges for this group throughout this pandemic. Jonathan, I know this is a topic that you're very interested in. Not only are you a travel fiend, but you've also worked in the uh, travel and hospitality sector for the majority of your career. So let's get to it. Jonathan, who do we have joining us this morning? You're right. I am very interested in this topic, uh, and I miss traveling so much. <laughs> Me too. Uh, this morning, we welcome Wendy Paradis, President of the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies, and Dr. Paul Willey, Professor uh, of Hospitality and Tourism at Niagara College. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Wendy, why don't we start? Let's start off with you. Um, your organization's mission is to foster the, su- the success and prosperity of your travel agency members across Canada. Let's go back to pre-COVID. What was happening with the industry at that time? Well, 2019 uh, was the most successful year of the travel industry in Canada and globally. So um, as we uh, see uh, baby boomers becoming empty nesters and new retirees, um, and then of course the um, amount of family travel uh, that's been happening, that um, we were on a really successful roll, I will say, um, in 2019. And as you know, that uh, ground to a halt um, in uh, mid-March 2020, And I can tell you that um, from the travel agency community that um, our revenues are still 90% down compared to 2019. So it has definitely been a catastrophic journey for us over the last 18 months. Yeah, and there were so many of us, myself included, we had a, a family vacation booked for April, beginning of April. Yes. Uh, and just before, you know, everything went to hell, <laughs> our travel agent called and said, okay, going to process that final payment. You're good to go. Absolutely. And literally, it was a week and a half later that, um, you know, the world changed. And, um, you know, I feel so bad for travel agents because how do they recoup? any of that. I mean, you know, we all had credits and we all have, you know, um, that, that money that, that we had put aside for that trip that is still just sitting there. Mm -hmm. How do do they deal with that? Well, travel agents, um, they most often get involved in a travel booking um, when there's a flight involved. And so, for instance, as you know, uh, this past summer, that a lot of Canadians have Canadian destinations as part of their bucket list. And what we found in the last year is that um, um, some Canadians said, I've always wanted to go to this destination in Canada. It's been on my list. And now I'm going to do it in 2021. And I actually anticipate this will continue into 2022 and 2023. Now, um, so and that would mean for us that a travel agent in Vancouver or St. John's, Newfoundland, that they would actually be sending um, Canadians to Canadian destinations like uh, Niagara, which is, of course, very iconic. Um, So there has been a bit of a lift um, with uh, Canada travel. Um, What I can tell you right now is that bookings, the the pent up demand for travel by Canadians is 
unbelievable. And so um, yesterday, we just had some really positive news from the federal government, where that blanket travel advisory was lifted, which is incredibly important for Canadians to have confidence to travel, um, as well as to be able to um, uh, get um, adequate insurance, uh, travel insurance coverage. So as far as bookings go and interest, the it's very, very strong and bookings are actually strong. But what we're finding is that the closer we've been getting to departure is that many Canadians have said, you know what, I'm still a bit uncomfortable. Let's move this booking by three months, by six months. So um, what it's meant is rework, 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 right back to that original um, booking that you talked about, Dolores, uh, back in uh, 2020, that we have been rebooking these passengers. So the travel agency community has been tremendously resilient and creative to actually survive um, this uh, pandemic. But we did get some good news out of Ottawa yesterday, for sure. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And Paul, I, I, I wonder, is this still a career choice for, for many people? Or are, are young people looking to get into this, this field? I would certainly hope so, Dolores. Um, I just want to reiterate some of the comments, statements that Wendy made. She's absolutely correct. There's just a tremendous amount of pent-up demand right now for not only domestic travel, but also international travel. I, I uh, associate it like a volcano that's building up, building up, and it's about to erupt. I think there's just going to be this huge explosion taking place with respect to travel. So for um, individuals out there that are giving serious consideration to a career in hospitality and tourism, I would say that, yes, this is still a viable career option. Uh, certainly the last 18, 20 months have been very difficult, devastating for our industry, but we are on the rebound. I've been take, paying uh, close attention to the numbers, not only in the food service sector, but also in the accommodation sector, as well as airlines. And the numbers are starting to rebound now. We're certainly nowhere near where we were back in 2019, because as Wendy identified, 2019 was an absolute banner year. We, if you take a look at the data from the World Tourism Organization, as well as if you take a look at the data from Destination Canada, it was just an awesome year, 2019. Things were fantastic. And then all of a sudden, boom, somebody pulls the carpet out from underneath their feet and we're in this pandemic. So my uh, recommendation to any individuals that are looking at hospitality and tourism as a career choice is that, yes, it still is a viable option. Right now, it doesn't look that desirable because we're still in the recovery stage um, from this pandemic. But uh, my forecast is, and I'm taking a look at the data and what other experts within the industry are saying, and a lot of them are, are in my opinion, somewhat pessimistic that we're not going to see a full rebound take place until 2025. I'm more optimistic than that. I think that we're going to see, and we're seeing it now. If you look at the numbers, you're seeing it now that there is recovery underway. I think that we're going to be back somewhere near pre-pandemic levels by Q3 or Q4 of uh, 2022 so not that far out about a year from now i'm hoping i'm i'm being optimistic that uh, we're going to be back somewhere near where we were in 2019 and what i accredit that to is as wendy identified there's just so much pent-up demand right now and there's hard data to back that up it's not just an observation if you take a look at the number of searches that are taking place on google uh, travelocity the other travel sites uh, people are people, and that's what's changed with respect to consumer behavior. Is that the um, the wannabe traveler now is doing more research? They're they're being more conscientious. They're getting the information that they need because, as Wendy identified, uh, what is holding back consumers from traveling or participating in um, dining out right now, food away from the home is that they need to have the confidence that wherever they go or whatever they're doing, they're going to be safe and that there's going to be very little to no risk of infection uh, or transmission of COVID-19 taking place. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I, there was an article just earlier this week that um, said, you know, get ready, travelers get ready because airfare is... Yeah, yeah, and that's what's happening. If you look at the data, I'll just I'll just give some numbers to you. So back in 2019, when things were really great here in Canada, 
we had 163 million people traveling by air here in Canada. So that includes domestic as well as international flights. During 2020, when we were in the pandemic, that dropped all the way down to 46 million. Here in 2021, we're back up to 108 million. That's 134% increase from 2020. So that's fantastic. That's great. But the problem is, um, as a result of the pandemic, and this also relates to the uh, supply chain management challenge that we have going on now, the problem is, is that during the pandemic, we lost, you know, in terms of competitiveness, the smaller airlines, not necessarily here in Canada, but certainly in the U.S., and in Europe, we lost a lot of the smaller carriers. They just could not survive through the pandemic uh, without government financial support. My point is this, is that um, because we've lost some of the supply that was out there within the commercial aviation industry, and also as a result of the legacy carriers mothballing aircraft, you can't just get an aircraft up and running once again. So, I mean, you've got to bring it out. You've got to service it mechanically. Plus, you also, a lot of pilots got laid off. A lot of flight crews got laid off. A lot of mechanics got laid off. So you got to go through that hiring process again in order to have the supports in place for those aircrafts. So there's a supply issue in commercial aviation right now. Plus, we've got all this demand that's in place. So demand's way up here mm -hmm. and supply's somewhere down here. So as a result of that, we have flights that are now full. They're running at at full capacity. Plus, airfares are going right up through the roof because there's so much demand and there's not enough supply in order to satisfy that demand. So yes, um, there is a price to be paid to travel by air, but I still believe it's worth it. Yeah, and and it's um, interesting you mentioned you know labor bringing people back who were laid off. I know that um, as we have conversations with other industries, uh, they're really worried about labor and and yeah. you know, that's going to be their number one challenge moving yeah. forward. And and Jonathan, you can attest to this. I mean, you you manage uh, hotels, and uh, you know even pre-pandemic, you were facing challenging. Pre-pandemic, right? it was challenging enough, and. And now it's even more challenging. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Dolores, if, Dolores, if I may, the four main challenges facing our industry right now with respect to this recovery is number one, the labor shortage. So people, you know, people within the industry are just saying, look, I can't hire anybody. Nobody's interested. And it's, it's shameful. It's ironic because if you look at the unemployment rate here in Canada, it's quite high. It's 6.9%. Part of the problem and attributing factor to that problem is the financial supports that have been provided by the government. Now, thankfully, that's coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And I believe that once those financial supports come to an end, that you're going to see uh, willing and able participants coming back into the labor market. But that's one challenge that we have right now. The other challenge, as I mentioned, is supply chain management. And another big, ugly challenge that we have right now is inflation. The inflation rate here in Canada is at 4.4%, and that affects everybody, that hurts everybody. And it's bad for our industry because that eats into discretionary income that consumers would have available for leisure and travel. And you start rethinking, well, do I really need to dine out tonight? No, I think I'm just going to spend that money on groceries instead. And it hurts us within the food service industry as well because that 4.4% Inflation rate translates into a, an increase in food costs by 3.9%. How do restaurants respond to that? They increase menu prices. Of course. And then once again, you know, in terms of discretionary spending, the consumer's thinking, you know, I, I don't want to pay 10 bucks for hamburger. Yeah. I'm willing to pay 750 or eight, but I'm not paying 10 bucks for that hamburger. It's simply too much. It's so we've like, got, we've yeah. got the labor shortage. We've got supply chain management. We've got inflation. And the other one is the rising price of oil. That doesn't help our industry as well because that's got that has a negative impact on everything. You know, talking about commercial aviation again, that's going to cause the price of jet fuel to go up, and therefore airfares are going to continue to go up as well. The cost of food will go up. Um, people commuting, traveling by car, etc. They're going to rethink that because look at what we're paying at the pumps now, right? Uh, regular gasoline we're paying about one forty two, one forty four per liter. Yeah, you know that's all detriment to our industry. So. I believe if we can get these four challenges under control and we can start to mitigate the damage that they're causing, this will only help the rebound that's going to take place, the recovery that's going to take place within our industry. Yeah, those are all great, great, great points. And, you know, Wendy, pre-COVID, get on a plane and, and 
you know, there was less and less frills, right? <laughs> yeah, you bring your own snack, you bring your own water, you bring your own whatever. So with uh, all of the challenges that, that Paul has just mentioned, um, you know, inflation being one of them, do you think we're going to see even more of that, like with, with less and less being provided? So there are uh, many different travelers who have uh, different needs and desires. So there is a segment of the Canadian population that is looking for the least expensive um, fare. Um, They're looking for um, uh, sometimes the least expensive price. Um, However, there is a significant part of the Canadian um, uh, traveler who really, um, they save their money, they want to go away, whether it's once a year or every two years, and what they're looking for is value. And so um, I think that um, it's all over the place, but don't discount. Um, I think it's important not to discount um, the really focusing on value um, versus uh, the lowest price. And so we saw that in 2019, we saw the emergence of different um, options for uh, consumers and that those of us who are professional travel agents, we we meet all of those people um, every day. And um, we have to be very careful to ask the right questions and ensure that um, we are delivering or recommending on what's really going to make that traveler happy. Uh, Canadians um, have saved a lot of money um, in COVID. They have been, um, as Paul said, researching, talking to travel agents, dreaming. They cannot wait to break out. And so I think that definitely um, travel and is a priority. And so I think that that is good news for our travel um, industry. I think that one of the things that's really important um, about labor is that um, it's been more than 18 months since we've been locked down. So there are a significant amount of of workers in our industries who maybe were going to work another three to five years and have decided to retire. So we definitely have that issue. Um, And um, at this point in time, it's not a labor shortage in 2022. We are already experiencing a labor shortage. And so I think that as an industry, we need to work together. And one of the key issues that we're finding is that um, as the furloughed um, employees are being called back, um, and this is right across travel and tourism, that um, some of them are saying, um, too many of them are saying that um, I'm not ready to return to travel and tourism until there's more stability. So I have, I have, a, I love travel and tourism. I'm so passionate about it. I enjoyed working in the industry, um, but I am not leaving my secure job with benefits um, and good hours to come back to an industry until it's ready for me. And so um, attracting new entrants um, into the travel industry is going to be very important. It's very important right now. Um, and then I think that as far as employers go, that we really need to um, look at all of the issues um, that um, our industry Uh, that is part of our industry so that we actually are um, not only customer centric, but employee in centric centric as well. Yeah. I have so many questions, but my, my brain is just going in so many directions, but I'm going to try and focus. I'm going to try and focus. (laughs) Paul's waving at me. So we'll go to Paul first. Yeah. Thanks Dolores. I just wanted to jump in because what Wendy was just saying triggered another thought and what we have underway. And and it's one particular segment as Wendy identified it. it, It's not universal. It's not across the board, but there is a segment out there um, that are participating in what we call revenge travel or revenge tourism. Because as Wendy identified, we've got individuals that have been in lockdown for 18, 20 months. 
where they haven't had the ability to travel at their leisure or the liberty to go out and do what they want to do. And they've saved money. So they're not going to be price sensitive. It doesn't matter what the airfare is going to be or what the hotel is going to charge. They're going to participate in some type of travel, whether it's domestic or international, as part of their revenge against the pandemic. So we've labeled this uh, revenge travel or revenge revenge tourism. Uh, and I see that definitely taking place now uh, here in 2021, and that will probably continue right into 2022. Yeah, I've not heard that term, revenge travel. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> I heard it here first. I made a note. Um, so I, can't, I can't take credit for it. It was an article in The Economist back in, uh, back in February of this year. Okay, fair enough. Um, so here in Niagara, I mean, we, we're, you know, Niagara Falls, Niagara on the Lake, I mean, 14 million visitors a year. And, you know, this labor shortage is, is huge. I mean, hotels that just can't open all of their rooms, attractions that can't open, um, lots of, of issues. And in the past, what's really helped that industry is our foreign students. Yeah. So coming out of the college and the university, so we're, we're blessed here in Niagara to have Niagara College and also Brock University, but that's disappeared as well. And so, um, Paul, like any any um, ideas to when, um, you know, these students might yeah, be in the community and, and able to work? Yeah, we're, we're starting to um, welcome back our international students. Uh, we've moved to more or less a hybrid model. Uh, for the delivery of our courses uh, this term, which means that some of the courses are taking place on campus uh, and the remainder of the courses are being delivered online. But our intent is, as long as the numbers hold and the numbers are looking very favorable right now, uh, here in the province of Ontario, as you know, I think we're, we're trending around 300 new cases a day, which is certainly better than 800 or 1,000 new cases a day. So as long as we hold that trend line, our intention is that come January, uh, we're going to be going full steam ahead with respect to having courses delivered on campus. And as a result of that intention that has been successfully communicated to our international audience, we're going to be seeing and welcoming a lot of new international students coming to Niagara College come January. So that void, that gap that has taken place during the pandemic, I think it's going to be filled and filled quite easily uh, with a, a new cluster of international students coming in to study full-time at Niagara College. And hopefully that will help satisfy some of the needs within our hospitality and tourism industry here in the Niagara region. Jonathan, that must be music to your ears. It is, yes. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too, the international students are highly motivated. They are. Extremely they are. motivated. They Good want work. to work and they're so thankful to have a job, so thankful to be given the opportunity to work within our hospitality and tourism industry. Yeah, Jonathan, you've had lots of experience in, in um, bringing in international students in your, in your hotels. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's... A market that, I mean, I love bringing in the, the students from Niagara College and the international students because what Paul was saying is absolutely correct. They, they want to make this their career. They're coming to a new country. They want to make an established new life here. They're motivated. Um, and we miss them. We miss them tremendously. And yeah. uh, we welcome them back. Yeah. Right on, man. Right on. We need your support. Thank you. <laughs> oh, anytime. Anytime. <laughs> wow. What a love fest. It's fantastic. <laughs> Big hug. Group hug. <laughs> I, I would also like to add that, um, you know, as we've identified, labor is uh, going to be a significant, is a significant issue. So uh, Tourism HR Canada um, and in Ontario, the Ontario Tourism Education Corporation that um, they are already working um, and, and are deploying uh, pro training programs um, that just-in-time learning um, to help uh, fulfill the labor shortage. So I think that um, Niagara College and um, international students and Canadian students is um, uh, is incredible and very, very successful in Niagara. And I think that also we have a lot of newcomers to Canada 
who um, we are working with as a tourist travel and tourism industry to actually help them prepare for um, uh, entry level positions um, in the tourism industry. So those were very successful programs in 2019, and they've already started to ramp up. There have been um, programs in Niagara, Ottawa, Toronto, in um, many of what I would call the iconic tourism destinations um, in uh, Canada. So I think that to tackle uh, the labor shortage so that we can really deliver on those incredible Ontario and Niagara experiences and Canadian experiences, that um, there is going to have to be a significant strategy uh, because um, our industry was so it was and continues to be impacted uh, by COVID. Yeah, Absolutely. I think one, one of the areas that I definitely wanted to touch on um, was business travel. And that, that pretty much has disappeared and, and folks are, you know, we have our, our Canadian Chamber Convention AGM happening next week. It's a two-day event. It's all like this. And so, um, you know, what's, what's the impact been? And, and do you see that coming back? So as far as the research goes, that um, business travel is uh, definitely challenged and will continue to be challenged. And um, I think that there's a lot there's a lot of forecasting and then it will evolve. Um, one of the things that we're finding is because you have to plan so far in advance for a major event, that there are many um, or most events are taking place virtually. However, some organizations took risks and they decided to go forward at this time and um, over the next few months and have smaller in-person um, meetings. And so one of the things that I'm certainly seeing is how thrilled people are to get back together in person um, at these um, at these events. I think that for Canadians, um, and that's where I'm finding a lot of the events um, is really Canada focused, that having the protocols in place um, seriously, um, that that is a real um, uh that that the tr the business travelers are feeling uh, it it eases their um, concerns. So I think that that's really uh, important. And I have to say, I was just in Western Canada a couple of weeks ago in on Vancouver Island, Vancouver, and then Alberta, and the. Um, Travel and tourism industry, our frontline service providers, did a fantastic job. Um, so there were very few obstacles. Um, they were delivering in spades, which was fantastic. And so I think that when it comes to business travel, that we actually are, with the mandates of being fully vaccinated, that all builds confidence and it builds confidence of the businesses. One of the things that is unique to business travel is that there's a human resource issue as well. Mm -hmm. So businesses are looking forward and they're saying, okay, so not only is there the business travel element, but there's also what is the human resource element of me um, asking my employees to travel at this time? So I think it's going to take a little time. And that's what the research uh, shows for um, business travel to be back. Unfortunately, the very large conventions, they're booked a year, two years in advance. And because of Canada's restrictions, um, which were some of the strongest in the world, that uh, there are um, a lot of conferences who maybe would have come to uh, Niagara, a larger conferences, um, or Toronto, who just um, they just decided to move to a different country. So that is going to be a real challenge to uh, catch up on for sure. Yeah. And Paul, did, anything to add to that? Yeah, from the research that I've done, um, the business travel, we're not going to go back to pre-pandemic levels. And a contributing factor to that is not only the, the concern or lack of confidence and safety, but it's also because the technology has gotten so much better Absolutely. with respect to Zoom and MS Teams and any other type of application that you're using. 
Um, but I will reinforce and, and uh, echo what Wendy had commented on with respect to conventions, what's driving the motivation for individuals to still attend conventions. It's not necessarily for the consumption of the information that they're going to receive at that convention. It's the, it's the human element. Mm -hmm. People want to be in that setting once again where they can see their colleagues and have a good heart-to-heart -heart or face-to-face -face chat. Um, but but the, um, the overall format is changing as well. Let me give you an example. So I'm an active member of uh, HFTP, which is Hospitality, Financial and Technology Professionals. We have two major events every year, and that's High Tech, which is the world's largest uh, technology exposition for the hospitality industry. And we also have our annual convention. We have 5,000 members all around the world. And what happened? So last year, nothing happened. We couldn't do anything. We had some meetings that were online because we were right in the core of the pandemic. But this year, what happened, and it was just last week, I didn't attend because we still had the uh, non-essential travel restrictions in place here in Canada. But what had happened was the two big events got merged together and became one big event. Was attendance down in comparison to previous years? Yeah, absolutely, because we're still dealing with the pandemic as a challenge. But for the attendees that went, that I spoke to, they all said the same thing, the common thread, the common theme that was spoken out loud and, and proudly was it was so good to have that human element in play once again, to actually be there physically with my colleagues and talking to my, my industry friends. So what I see happening from the research that I've done is that, you know, if it depends on the level of authority and responsibility that you have within the organization. So if you're a junior manager, middle manager, you're probably not going to be traveling for business unless it's absolutely necessary. Senior management will still get together uh, for those important board meetings or strategy sessions or whatever they may be. But there's definitely going forward going to be a greater dependence and reliance on making use of the technology that we now have available uh, for those for those meetings. Yeah. The other factor that comes into play is that um, within the accommodation sector is hotel design is being rethought because most hotels, and, and Jonathan, you would know this, yeah. most hotels take the, uh, the business market into consideration with respect to allocating floor space for banquets and meeting rooms. And, and that is being rethought now. It's a consequence, a negative consequence of the pandemic is that perhaps that space should not be allocated uh, towards meetings or conventions because there just might not be any demand for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I know hotel owners that have changed their banquet rooms or small meeting rooms into something else. Yeah. Because they, they want to move on. It, it needs to be a revenue source. Dead, that's right. It's dead space. It's not producing any revenue. So you got to do something with it. Right. Mm. I agree. I want to uh, take a quick moment and give a shout out to our sponsor, the Small Business Enterprise Center, City of Niagara Falls. Thank you for your support. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash sbec okay this is such a great conversation and i i know we're getting close to our time um i uh i had a thought now what was it <laughs> i just lost it uh okay so as we we you know start traveling again i um I had a conversation with some friends and my husband last weekend. We were talking about where we want to go. And, uh, you know, we started making some plans for, for travel next year. And um, after the beverages were done and our friends uh -huh. left, my husband said to me, I don't know if I want to travel next year. I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. I don't know if I'm, you know, wanting to go to an airport and getting on a plane. And like, I, I just don't know. And I, I, I paused for a minute and thought, wow, I, um, I didn't think about that. Um, but I think a lot of people are probably having the same, the same thoughts. They want to travel, but they're still a little nervous. We need that, you know, that confidence. I know Jonathan, you've, you've, you've done it already, right? We've done it already. We've gone down to Nova Scotia. We did the flights and, you know, everybody was following protocol, wearing their masks and, 
we've got a couple of trips booked already, you know, Cuba next month and Mexico in January. Yeah. So well, like I said, you're a travel fiend, so yes. I'm not usually, surprised. Yeah, <laughs> usually we travel two or three times a year, you know, once to Europe and, you know, once domestically and then one down to the Caribbean. I do have a question for Wendy and, and maybe, you know, asking for somebody that, uh, and maybe people that are watching for, for people that travel and book vacations. We've noticed that we booked our vacation to Cuba and the flight has changed a couple of times. The day of the week that we're leaving has changed. Is that something that is a pro- predominant thing now with the travel agents as far as uh, the logistics of booking a package? Well, it's actually um, anything that um, involves air travel. So what we're seeing with, um, and, and I touched a bit of, uh, on this a little bit earlier. So the airlines are putting out flights based on anticipated demand or trying to um, restart the travel industry. And so they put out all of these plans. And then what happens is that they look at bookings and load factors. And um, what what they're finding is that, um, okay, so um, this flight can go, this flight can go, but there is um, just not enough demand at this point in time for this particular flight. So you see lots and lots of consolidation. And um, so Jonathan, I cannot express the amount of schedule changes. It is a significant um, challenge um, and um, understandable. However, um, what I think that we're going to see, winter's coming, um, it's going to be minus 10, minus 20. The, the snow is going to fly. Um, that travel advisory was lifted. Um, I think that we're going to start to see a little bit of stability there. But, but as uh, Canadian travelers in this time of COVID, that we actually need to be um, understand um, that things may change and we need to be patient and prepared. Um, So it's not 2019, um, it's um, 2021 going into 2022, and we are still in the time of COVID, and um, things will change and evolve sometimes very quickly. And so Canadians who are traveling, um, they need to be prepared for that, and a lot of them are. And so all of the polling that we've seen when Canadians talk about what's important to them, it's that um, we are more safety conscious than many other countries. So a Canadian traveler, um, what they've said is that I want to know about the safety and the protocols right from I arrive at the airport, I'm going through security, the safety protocols on the airplane, and then what's going on with COVID at my destination and what are the safety protocols um, at the resort and are they actually following them? And so I think that um, travel is a little bit more complex. And that's why I, I mentioned earlier that people are really looking for value and they're looking for a safe an enjoyable holiday. And um, so I think that that is really um, um, important. So hopefully, as these bookings um, actually come to fruition, um, and it'll all depend on COVID, um, that, um, that we will see some stability in the schedule changes. But it is a significant issue, as you mentioned. Mm. Well, you know, Wendy, we're, we're going to go to Paul, but you, you hit it right on the nose. Uh, in order for me to get my husband on a plane to go anywhere <laughs> next year, we're going to have to have that entire plan. Like, what, Absolutely. What are the, the safety measures in place from the minute we leave our house until the minute we get back home? So, yeah, right on the money. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, so I just wanted to speak to the experience that Jonathan has right now with the airline. The root cause of that is forecasting. Because forecasting models make use of historical data. And right now, the historical data for 2021 is not accurate. Because if you look at what happened in 2020, 2019, 
you can't use that historical data. What we have happening right now is what we refer to as an external shock. So 9-11 was an external shock. The SARS crisis was an external shock. The financial crisis of 2008 to 2012 was an external shock. The pandemic is an external shock. Whenever you have an external shock, your forecasting models are basically useless. They have little to no value because we're dealing with a ton of uncertainty. So what the airlines are doing right now, Jonathan, is they're just basically throwing spaghetti against the wall. They're saying, here's a flight, okay? This flight is available. But with respect to that flight, as to whether or not it will actually depart on that date and that time is gonna be dependent upon the level of demand. And also the aircraft that they make use of is gonna be dependent upon the level of demand. If demand is robust and it's there, it's healthy, they're going to add additional flights. They might add an additional aircraft to that same flight that, that's going to take, maybe one flight's going to take off at 2.30. There'll be a succeeding flight taking off at 3.30, so on and so forth. But right now, the airlines are dealing with a ton of uncertainty. I mean, their, their forecasting models are very sophisticated, very complicated, um, computer-driven. But the problem is, is that basing it on historical data right now is not going to work. It's not reliable because we're dealing with this external shock. So Jonathan, I would not be surprised that in all likelihood from today until your departure date, you're probably going to have three or four other schedule changes with respect to the departure date and time of your flight. Probably, probably. I'm expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> you're well, a good traveler, Jonathan. I'm yeah, sure the airlines is. love you. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, uh, I know that we're getting close to our time, but I, I have to ask the question, what, what's um, the future for bricks and mortar travel agencies? I mean, I, I, my girl is Shirley. I go to that travel agency, have been, you know, for the better part of 20 years, wouldn't book a trip without her. Um, but that was sort of starting to change pre-COVID. And I don't know, can you just kind of tell us a little bit of what the state of, of that is? I think that all retailing um, will go through changes um, uh, and really maybe something that would have taken 10 or 20 years to change that something um, like COVID, a catalyst for change, you know, even how many of us use Zoom like we do yeah, now yeah. compared to 2019. So I think that as, as far as uh, physical locations go, there was um, an evolvement of that even prior to COVID, that um, with the technology that we have in front of us, the, um, the way that uh, travelers want it to book has changed. And so certainly um, there is a renaissance of professional travel agents. We are more valued than ever. And we actually even saw that uh, prior to COVID. And that again, it's that, uh, that uh, so many travelers um, were looking for value and they were looking for a a really good vacation, whatever that looked like for them, because it's all hard earned disposable income, right? So it doesn't come easily for most. Um, so I think that uh, what we have found with COVID is that typically in um, a travel and tourism business, uh, including travel agencies, the number one expense is uh, labor. And then the second highest expense is rent. And so with the emergence of different technologies that we have found that um, many customers um, want, they like to work with their travel agent via email, via telephone, um, and some still in person. So I think that there will be a, that, and we've already seen, that there will be a significant shuffle on um, how many physical locations um, that there are. Many businesses who could actually bow out of rent being the second highest expense um, over the last 18 months, a, a number of them have consolidated their uh, real estate. 
In talking to some of the largest travel agencies who have locations across the country, we actually have been um, for sure um, in reduce as many expenses as possible mode because we have those alternative ways to deliver our services. Unlike a hotel where you want that person sleeping in that bed and eating in that restaurant. Um, so um, what our travel agencies leader that tells us, tell us is that um, as we come over, um, get through COVID, that things will evolve and they will adjust based on what it is that the consumer would like. But we do know there are less um, uh, physical locations um, and we anticipate that to uh, continue, it will be very, very strategic. Mm -hmm. The final thing I'd like to add is that um, travel agencies for the most part, so over 93% are small business. So they are um, located in almost every community um, right across Canada. They are part of the fabric. And so um, we will see as these small businesses um, evolve that um, we just like we'll see a change in um, a bakery or a small retail that depending on the community that travel agency owners will make decisions on what is their the best model for them in that community. But we definitely will see change. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking uh, about my own experiences with my travel agent. And it's true, the last five years, every trip that I've booked, I've sent her an email and said, this is what we're thinking, this is when we're thinking, send me some options. And it was all done that way. And I would only go in to pick up my tickets. Mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. That was it. So yeah. we've been doing it for a long time. I guess, uh, you know, the, the, only, the only group that it might impact um, are, are seniors. So I think of my parents who are 81. And they like to do everything in person. Yes. yes. <laughs> right? They're yeah. not, they don't have a computer at home. They don't want a computer. They don't even want a cell phone. Uh, they like to talk and go in and visit. And it's part of their day. And uh, they would never book a, a trip that way. Um, so it would probably fall on me to book it for them. But that's okay. But but yeah, interesting point. Because we've, we've been doing that already for, for a number of years. Yeah. And I think that um, that you make a very good point about, um, I'm going to say, uh, our more mature uh, clientele. I think for those of us who travel a lot, that um, we take some things for granted and have these assumptions. But um, for many families that um, a family of four with four young children or two young children um, going away on a, um, a vacation that they dream about doing. And one dream, for instance, is Disney World. Mm -hmm. And for myself, working in the travel industry, who has been to Disney World over a dozen times, whether that's for leisure or uh, business, that um, when I was a travel agent, um, it was so refreshing because um, you would have young families come in. They have scrimped and saved for this vacation. And it is so important to them that they actually want to come in person. They want that connection. Um, they, um, they certainly, you know, often do research in advance, or they're just so busy with their jobs and raising their family that they actually don't have that capacity. So they, they actually do want to come in. Yeah. And so I think that those of us who are well traveled, that we forget about that. But um, travel is a luxury for many, many people and many families. And they really are looking for that hard earned money that they are going to take this trip. You know, in a case of a young family, it might be um, Walt Disney World, that, um, that they want it to be great, fit within their budget, good right. value, but it's really important to them because there's a lot of Canadians who can't travel every year or a couple of years. And, and we, need to we, we need to remember that. And we do see um, those families and 
you know, empty nesters and seniors as well in the travel agency. Yeah, good point. And I have some fond memories of when my kids were little and us going to the travel agency to book that trip because that's when it became real, right? Yeah. So uh, thanks for taking me back. A little nostalgic for me. <laughs> Jonathan, what a great, we could keep going and going. No, talk what a about. great conversation. I can't wait to start travel. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. We'll have to have you guys back at some point. Paul, you're, you're waving your hand. Yeah, yeah. I just, I wanted to speak to the question that you posed to Wendy, because I see three trends emerging with respect to the brick and mortar model for travel agencies. Uh, number one is that I believe the boutiques will survive. So those travel agencies that are serving the luxury market or the senior citizens market, adventure tourism, I think they'll be able to survive. I think for the smaller retail operations, they won't be able to survive. I think they'll need to adapt and evolve and move to a, an online format. I think those retail operations that are located in the larger markets, so Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, they'll be able to survive. And that's just law of averages. You've got the demographics to support it. And the third trend that I see evolving with respect to the brick and mortar model for travel agencies is mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. I see the smaller players getting... If it's a smaller player and they have a well-established clientele, I see them getting gobbled up by the big brands. The big brands will come in, make a very lucrative offer and, and buy them out, or we'll have some type of merger taking place with the smaller brands. But as Wendy identified, I agree with Wendy, the, the evolution started pre-pandemic, but it will definitely gather steam. The momentum is in place. It will continue to take place post-pandemic. Yeah, thank you for those comments. Yeah. yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. I think we're going to see some changes in our downtown. Changes are coming. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's for sure. For sure. Well, Jonathan, it was a great, great morning, huh? Hey, really good. What's up for next week? <laughs> oh, well, let's see. What do we have up for next week? Um, we are going to be joined by some of our local superstars. So three unique businesses to discuss some of their experiences over the past year, as well as some of the very cool opportunities that um, they're pursuing right now. Joining us for the conversation will be Andy Merson, Niagara Falls Craft Distillers, David Norquist from Mini Wargaming, and Sarah LaCharity from Raw Materials Company. To all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you. Bye, -bye. Bye.